You're listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast with Donna Grace Campbell, Judy Green. Welcome to a very special Sunday edition of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Um, today, we are going to be talking about uh, a few things, and we have two great guests coming in. Actually, they're in right now, and they're going to be sitting down, and we're going to be talking about their organization, but also something that is facing uh, Canada and the world. So uh, without further ado, I want to welcome, and I want to make sure I get this right because I've written it down. And if anyone who's ever listened to the show knows, I don't write that much notes down. Donna Grace Campbell, the co-founder and campaign manager of Stop Ecoside Canada, and also a returning guest to the show. This is her third appearance on the show. Miss Judy Green, all the way out in Halifax, the political liaison and spokesperson for Stop Ecoside Canada. I shouldn't say Halifax. I should also, I should say Nova Scotia because she's not in Halifax. <laughs> Donna, Judy, thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. Lovely. Thanks for having us. Oh, awesome uh, to be here again, Chris. Thank you. Um, Donna, we'll start with you uh, because you, as, as the co-founder and campaign manager, you are the best person to answer this question. Who are Stop Ecoside? Stop Ecoside is an international organization that was founded in 2017 by Jojo Mehta, who was an activist, and the late barrister Polly Higgins. Polly Higgins, for about a decade before, um, came to the idea that the earth needed a lawyer. And so she revived the notion, which started in the 70s, to revive the word ecocide. And so our thrust is to criminalize ecocide at the highest level in the world at the International Criminal Court so that it would be, it would stand up, it would stand alongside on the Rome Statute with genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity, crimes of aggression, and this would be the fifth crime um, holding that kind of gravity. So it began and... Um, now at 2021, it has really taken off. It's around the world. We have we have uh, branches in countries, many countries around the world, and we've just on the solstice on June 21st unveiled the definition for ecocide, which I think we can talk more about. But that's how we got started because of this urgent need to criminalize the worst damages that are happening to the natural world. So just to follow up on that, in, so in 2017, uh, Stop Ecocide was formed. When did you get involved, uh, Donna? When did you get involved with the campaign? Because as the co-founder, I'm assuming there's many co-founders around the world, but as the co-founder for here in Canada, when did you get involved? Um, it's been a little over a year. We, we uh, began our group in June of 2020. And so it's only a year old, but uh, we have made enormous strides in that time because there is an appetite for this kind of solution to the ecological and climate crisis that we face. Awesome. Thank you. Um, Don, uh, not Donna, sorry, Judy, what about yourself? Uh, you, we've been, you've been on the show before, so our guests know who you are, but why, why did you get involved with Stop Ecoside Canada? Well, I'm out here in, in Nova Scotia, in Nipmagi, unceded territory of the Nipmah. And um, when I was involved with political um, uh, forums that we were doing during the leadership contest for the Green Party of Canada uh, last year, I used the term ecocide. And uh, Donna and her co-founder, Jamie, uh, their ears perked up. And they reached out to me and we did a little... Um, a webinar um, on that uh, with them and I learned lots and when um, the leadership contest was over and so I stepped up to uh, help them in uh, October of 2020 and so we've been uh, organizing and strategizing and have um, really got a good good plan going forward in terms of how to make uh, the term ecocide a word that people know and understand all across Canada. And most importantly, that our political leaders know this word, know what it means, and are prepared to vote in support of this Fifth Amendment when the time comes when they vote at the International Criminal Court. 
a year um, ago, it was unusual for someone to use the word ecocide. And so when Judy used this during the campaign, it really made an impression. And we understood that this was somebody who would really forward this, this piece of justice that's really missing in the criminal code. It, it really resonated with me, Chris, because it's different than um, the way uh, we're seeing litigation against um, companies and um, you know perpetrators of what we would undeniably call ecocide. Is right now it is under uh, civil law, so civilians have to come together and raise the money to fight against oftentimes corporations who have have whole teams of lawyers and um, big pocketbooks, and it's just not a level playing field. And where these crimes really are crimes against the planet, and since all of us need the planet to survive, it is a crime against humanity. And so therefore, this law belongs at the criminal level because it is knowingly engaging in these acts um, that will elicit um, a, a conviction against it as a, a crime of ecocide, um, but it needs to be at an international level because oftentimes within uh, your own country, that country is beholden to jobs or promises or kickbacks or all sorts of things. So we see this a lot in, um, you know, the underdeveloped countries that really are in, in desperate um, situations and companies will take advantage of the local uh, local um, politicians in order to push through the acts that they want to perform in order to extract uh, for profit. And they leave a big mess behind and often um, decimate uh, the Indigenous communities as well. So it's really imperative that uh, with a law at the international level that uh, another signator of um, this law, perhaps France, uh, would be able to step up and say, no, 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 this cannot be happening. This is, there's evidence against this. We will bring this crime against this um, company, even if they're operating in another country. And so it takes it to a whole different level and takes the responsibility out of the hands of the people who are least powerful and into the hands of the people who are powerful, who are our elected leaders. Um, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, because for those who are tuning in right now and saying, what is ecocide? Why is this important? Why is this even a word that exists? Because uh, as someone who relatively tries to be informed in my in, in my everyday life, I was hard up to understand what the word ecocide was. So from you, Donna, and then also to you, Judy, because everyone's going to have a little bit of a different opinion or a different uh, statement on what ecocide is. Starting with you, Donna, what is ecocide? Well, we actually now have a definition of ecocide, a legally robust definition. But going way back, etymologically speaking, to the time of the Greeks, ecocide means killing one's home. But the definition, uh, which was proposed on June 21st, like I was suggesting, was the brainchild of 12 international leading criminal and environmental lawyers. They represent the global North and South. It's a very um, even-handed look. It's people of color, some indigenous or one person, um, people with incredible backgrounds. They, they did a um, public survey. They asked for public opinion. So they received, so this, this, this definition was informed by people within the public, uh, um, lawyers and business people, faith leaders, indigenous people, youth, they all sent in ideas. Then over a period of six months, these, these 12 <laughs> international lawyers um, worked on this and came up with a definition that is legally robust and will be presented in December to the International Criminal Court. So there are 123 nation states that are part of the International Criminal Court. And they will they will take it forward. So the first process, the first step in the process is proposal. Uh, so, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. I just want yes. a clarification here because yeah. uh, this is where I'm going to be from the viewer's perspective and the listener's perspective. Of those 123 nations, Canada is one of those. 
Absolutely. Not only is Canada one of them, but Canada back in the 90s really took a leading role internationally. We, we wish it would again. Um, but it was one of the architects of the Rome Statute and the International Criminal Court. So it had a huge leading role. And it's something that we as Canadians can be extremely proud of. Um, so, yes, Canada is one of those nation states. So what does ecocide mean? Ecocide is, is you, what does genocide mean? It's the same thing. Death to a culture, death to a people, death to ecosystems. So um, if you would like, because we're speaking generally later on, I could read the actual definition or I can do that now, whatever. You Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Let's do okay. the do it now, because um, for those who are listening, I'm assuming that you're pulling it up right now. So I'm going to vamp for a little bit and I'll throw it over to Judy here for a second. For those who don't know, um, this is, like you said, something has been going on since uh, 2000, uh, 1990. But this definition would not be approved until December at the criminal court, correct? Is that what I just got from that statement or they would be passing it? That's why I'm just confused a bit. All right. So it is it's not quite as complicated as it seems in some ways. This is a solution that's simple, criminalizing mass damage and destruction to nature. But there's a process in order to get it on the statute and to move it through will take years, actually. Um, but in December, it will be proposed. And the notion is, and I think we're quite close to that, is it will be proposed by many, by a number of nations around the globe. So most probably it will be proposed in conjunction with Europe, with um, the Pacific Islands, nations, and and, uh, possibly South America. We would love Canada to be part of that. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. So it will be more of a force from the global community asking for this. It will be proposed, and then it will take a year for um, four nation states to discuss it. It will come back. They will, you know, do things, do what lawyers do, which is hash it out. And it will take a while. So the definition then, uh, I'm assuming you have pulled it up. So the yes. definition that was uh, announced in on Solstice in June, what is the following? Go ahead, yes. Donna. For the purpose of this statute, being the Rome statute, for the purpose of the statute, ecocide means unlawful or wanton acts committed with knowledge that there is a substantial likelihood of severe and either widespread or long-term damage to the environment being caused by those acts. And then after that, there are defining terms for each of those words, um, which we can discuss at some point. Yeah, we will. Um, but before I do go on, uh, you are Stop Ecocide Canada. Judy, this is the question for you as the government liaison. What can the government of Canada, I know we are currently in the middle midst of an election, so at the end of this election, we could have a different government of Canada, but what can the government of Canada do right now to start addressing this issue, but also acknowledging that we need to have that Fifth Amendment, which we'll be talking about later in the Rome Statute? Well, the first thing that they can do is meet with us and we will um, educate them and ask their questions. And we have been. We've been um, advocating with uh, MPs over the um, last year and a half, well, year and a little bit. And um, now we're moving on to actually speak to um, senators as well. And we have um, spoken to um, the, and Donna, help me with the right name here, uh, the group within um, the government that um, deals with the International uh, Criminal Court. We have and the Global Affairs. We've spoken about Global Affairs yes. a few times. Yes, so we've spoken with Global Affairs a few times, and, and they have their questions, of course, um, but uh, we've had um, our international experts come in and help um, alleviate those questions. Um, our hope is that uh, enough MPs will educate themselves on this issue, see the value in it, in helping them solve um, a lot of the issues that we're dealing with in terms of the climate crisis, that we have to hit these targets and we have to get very um, 
uh, aggressive targets if we're going to avoid the worst of what the climate crisis is hurtling at us. Uh, but it goes beyond that. It goes um, into environmental racism. It goes um, into uh, the ability for people to enjoy the land on which they live and not have corporations come in in extraction industries and uh, make that land unsuitable for the purpose for them to be able to live, make it um, uh, impossible for them to live healthily there. So it, there is so many positive things that come out of a law like this. And it's not that we're actually looking at putting people in prison. It's going to be more of a deterrent because if your CEOs and if your investors, if your, um, uh, your um, insurers are taking on the liability that um, someone could be uh, charged with ecocide, they're likely not going to get insurance for that for that um, action. So it is a way of, of being present and mindful about what corporations are doing and what their corporate responsibility is to the people and communities and the land upon which they, they work and extract. It's not saying everything has to stop or shut down. They just have to do it better and so that it is not causing um, harm to the environment or the people. Okay. Donna, do you want to follow up on that? Because I thought I saw your hand raised there for a moment. No? Um, I guess I would just say one of the biggest things that we want Canada to do is to vote in favor of criminalizing ecocide at the international level. So what that means is once it comes time to vote, so it will be presented, it will be hashed out. Um, and we actually have spoken deep. We've gotten deep within the Office of Global Affairs and we've spoken with um, some of the lawyers who would be working on the statute because it's proposed, but then each each nation state who's a signatory has the ability to weigh in on it and they will hash it out until it's acceptable to everyone. Um, so we want Canada to vote in favor of this. And that's what we're advocating for in each and every meeting that we have with any political leader. And, um, and we represent that in our grassroots movement also. Um, as I just said, we are in the midst of a campaign and people mm -hmm. are out door knocking, people are out engaging with their constituents, but leaders are crisscrossing this country. I have not heard the word ecocide spoken from, I would say, any of the leaders of this uh, during this election. I could be wrong. I don't I'm not with them all 24, 7, seven days a week, but I, I, I seem to be tuned in. This seems to be a pressing issue. This is starting in December that it's going to be proposed and Canada doesn't sound like it has a uh, we'll talk about the amendment here shortly, but doesn't have an official position on ecocide. In my opinion, I, I, I could be wrong. Donna, am I wrong in saying that? That I uh, Well, that's that is very Canadian, unfortunately, not <laughs> taking a position. Um, but we have an official statement. And if you go on our, our website, you can find it. And it says we will be watching closely the international developments. So, in fact, when we um, meet, we have met with um, a number of, well, many MPs and senators, as well as other NGOs. And one of them in particular, um, Environmental Defense, when we were meeting with them, they said that um, the Minister of Climate Change and the Environment got a hold of them and was wondering about us. And so um, they are we have gotten their ear. And so um, Minister Wilkinson is going sort of behind the scenes to find out, but his, we are now um, aligning with other groups. So there's a, a young people's group called Mock Cop 26. And they have taken Mock Top, excuse me, Mock Cop Canada has taken specifically criminalizing ecocide as their main focus. And so they, they, um, Wilkinson has gotten directly back to them, possibly because they're more youth driven um, or more youth um, visible. And so um, I, this is a term you will be hearing more and more because it is taking off like wildfire across the world, tragically, because uh, we're really on the edge. You know, things are so bad. But um, those, the single word ecocide, people recognize that. They recognize 
that what that means, I think, I mean, you know, it's, it's sort of a conundrum when you first hear it, but if you think about it, ecocide is just like genocide. And now we're looking at the connection between crimes against humanity and crimes against the environment. Really, it's a paradigm shift. We understand that we live on this earth that has finite resources. We cannot live on an earth where the life support systems are beginning to fail. I, I want to, I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here and I do apologize for the question, but I, I, I live in the province of Alberta, not born and raised here, but I live in Alberta. If I went out to the street corner and I asked 15 people what they thought about potentially having ecocide, uh, uh, put into a criminal uh, statue in the criminal court, uh, international criminal court at that, they would look at me and say, are you trying to kill the oil and gas industry? And I'm only asking this question is because I, I need to ask the question because this is the question that you're probably getting at the doorsteps as well when you're trying to address them. How do you balance the, okay, we can't destroy the world we live in because we only have one. It's not like we're finding Earths all over the solar system right now we can fly off to, but how can you balance the need for resource development against the destruction of our uh, ecosystem? And this this one, if Judy, if uh, Donna, either one yeah, of you want I'll, to- I'll jump in first, yeah. Sure, I'll jump in first. Um, we get that, that question quite a bit, actually. And, and the really, what we're dealing with is a false dichotomy, economy versus the environment. This has been a false dichotomy that has been fed to us for a very long time. The fact is we can be smart about what we're doing. We can be smart about where our energy is. We can be smart about seeing that, that we cannot continue the path that we're having. Just read the IPCC report. The oil sands and the oil industry will never recover. We can't afford it to. It will be the death of us. So if we do not find a smooth transition, then the oil and gas workers, we are not doing them the service that, that they uh, deserve because they deserve to have security. And when you're asking people in Alberta, it's they're afraid of losing their jobs. And I do not blame them. But our governments have to be looking at transitioning um, the oil and gas workers into the clean energy sector, into cleaning up the oil wells. There's literally decades of work to be done there using the same skills that they have um, and are being paid at the rate that they would be paid in these cleanup jobs. It is just time to say, you know, there's an expression, cut bait and run. Okay, the oil and gas industry, I, I ha had a software engineering uh, consulting company out in, in Alberta. I worked with a lot of these small companies. I know that there's a ton more than people even realize that depend on the oil and gas industry in, in Alberta. But the reality is, is that it is not coming back. And the sooner that that realization is made, the faster we can make sure that the workers are transitioned and are taken care of while we are cleaning up and meeting those targets. And we really do need to be looking at a 60 percent reduction um, over pre-industrial averages simply because we've been increasing our emissions. We haven't been reducing them. You know, the fact is, you know, what is the definition of, of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Seriously, we need to take action. And I'm sorry, but I'm putting our leaders on the spot here. They know they've been told they've read the same reports that we have. They know what needs to be done. They need to have the courage to do it. And this election, make sure you vote for someone who will. So just on that note, I'm going to throw this one to Donna. It does take courage to do this because this is a very big amendment to the Rome stature uh, from what uh, we've just talked about uh, recently, but it is a big amendment. And there are people probably in Western Canada, in particular the Prairie Provinces, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, even Northern BC, who might be afraid to do this. Courage is one thing, but potentially being sued at an international court for destroying our ecosystem is going to potentially stop them from supporting it. How do you talk to people who say, I would love to save the environment. I'd love to save our ecosystem, but right now, while it's great, we need to transition. We need to worry about 
right now and not worry about 10 years from now because that's 10 years that's 10 years in the future scandals issue not today's issue because today's issue is recovery of the pandemic recovery of the collapse in oil and price Mm-hmm. How how do you balance that, Donna? Mm-hmm. That's an excellent question. And as Judy said, you know, this is one that we um, we are asked often and and we are concerned with. Um, and I think Judy answered it quite well. Um, so I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Iron and Earth, that organization in Alberta. I've what? heard of I've heard of them, but I've so not like it's actually definitely done a group. It's it's a really forward thinking group. And Iron Earth is in Alberta, and they are tar sand workers who are um, have all the skills that are needed for transition, and they are looking at transitioning. They just sponsored with an independent organization a, a sweeping survey of oil sands workers, and it was astounding the response. A huge percentage want to transition and want this skills and the support in order to do that. I have a friend in in Alberta who he has to feed his family, but he knows what the cost of that is doing. So this is tragically what um, the corporate heads have led us to. So when we talk about criminalizing, we're not talking about the, the worker. It's kind of like the foot soldiers. Who do you actually hold responsible for genocide? Not the foot soldiers. You hold those at the highest decision making who are actually not in jeopardy's way. So this law can act. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask yeah, a question yeah. here because because now now I'm really I'm not more yeah. confused. I I, yeah. I I thought I had an idea of what you meant, but now yeah. I'm asking the question: Is it only governments who would be brought forward, or no, would no. it be businesses as well, and people, or organizations, or presidents of companies okay. who are destroying this? I will answer both of those questions. <laughs> so, with criminal law, it's it's individually it's individuals being held criminally liable. So that could be a CEO, it could be the head of the insurance company, it could be the bankers who are bankrolling it, it could be ministers who are handing out permits. If it goes to court and and they are deemed that they have created uh, or committed ecocide. But no one has any interest in us, uh, the workers in, in doing that. And so that's what I meant by foot soldiers. You know, you're going to go after the, those who have the highest culpability. And, but in, in the same way, we're not actually, we don't have a grave interest in putting people behind bars. Um, And there is going to be a transition period also. Really, this is going to act as a deterrent, as Judy had said earlier. And so this law, and, and this is what I would say, also in relationship to what Judy was saying, it's going to act in the, in the old um, horse and cart um, analogy. It's going to act not only as a stick, but also as a carrot, because this will not just criminalize, but but that will open up a doorway to to begin support for all of the the transitions that we need. I mean, the money is there. We've found hundreds of trillions of dollars to act on COVID, but we've not found any money to support a just transition. So this is, this will act as the carrot in Um, doing that also. I I appreciate you clarifying that and just addressing my questions, because like I said, I'm learning as well as the listeners and the viewers. So I do appreciate that you're answering these questions that I have. Uh, I want to turn back to the definition here for a second, because we talked about uh, some of the definitions, some of the terminology that you were going to address here. So in there, uh, if you can just uh, let's start with the first one and we'll we'll do sort of a round table. And uh, what was the first uh, term? terminology or definition uh, underneath the definition of ecocide, Donna? Okay, so um, I'll just read it and then we'll... So for the purpose of this statute, ecocide means unlawful or wanton acts. So the first description they get is wanton. And what they say is wanton means with reckless disregard for damage, which would be clearly excessive in relation to the social and economic benefits anticipated. So, Judy, uh, for the average person who's listening to that, what does that mean in, uh, quote unquote, non-legal terms? Because I think there's a lot of people who go, like myself, who just went, 
that that yeah let's do that <laughs> okay so so let's think about it as an average person you have ethics that that um are your guideposts that determine your actions. A corporation does not. A corporation is created for the single purpose of making money for its shareholders. It is a legal entity and that's all it does. That's all it's required to do. There's no ethical underpinnings. This provides an ethical underpinning that a corporation would be held accountable to. I would make a very bad joke about ethics and business, but I'm not going to because I, well, I is- I'm above that right now. So I'm just going to say that. Yes. Well, and, and that's why there needs to be these, um, the carrot and the stick because it doesn't exist in our corporate structures. And as you well know, the top 100, um, uh, companies are creating 70% of the emissions that are driving this climate crisis. This is a tool to get them to change what they're doing. We're not saying go away. We're saying be smarter and work within these guidelines. And, and as Donna had mentioned, this doesn't happen overnight. So there is lots of time for them to prepare and to change, but they need to know this is coming. Okay. I I get again, I'm going to throw the, because we're talking about ethics and I think there's one person in this country who would be yelling at me if I did not ask this question. Um, While admissions are going up, while the damage to our ecosystem is continuously happening, we have one country and I'm probably never going to be able to go back into that country ever again after asking this question. That is called China. China is not mm-hmm. a signatory of the Rome statue, stature, sorry. No. Um, and so it, it would not be beholden to this ecocide proposal. How do you ethically say to the world, we need this when we have a large country like China, who is one of, if not the largest polluters in the world who hasn't signed on? Donna? That is a really great question. And well, um, Just one thing I want to just throw out there is also China is producing a football stadium worth of solar panels daily. So that's pretty interesting. But um, there's something called universal jurisdiction. So even though China is not a signatory, as is the U.S. and India, three major players, since they're not signatories, how would this work? They continue to uh, commit ecocide. This, this law criminalizing ecocide is actually really geared much more towards corporations than countries. And so if you have a Chinese corporation or a US corporation, they have satellite offices all around the world. And if they're practice, say, say if they're in a country, say they're in an African country, which so often happens, and they have just decimated a Delta, for example, which is on the horizon, um, and the people don't have, they don't have the recourse, they don't have the political will, they don't have the, the economy or the, the ability to, to go after that corporation. If that corporation has an office in, say, Belgium, who is a signatory and who has actually agreed to this, it can happen. So if that, if that CEO steps foot in a country that is a signatory, they can be apprehended. But again, I just want to go ahead. I just want to point out that we're really looking at this as a deterrent in the way that genocide is a deterrent. Certainly genocide still happens, but a genocidal maniac doesn't really have the impetus to curb their appetite for genocide the way that a CEO, when their shareholders are are starting to become um, nervous because their CEO and their corporation is beginning to look on par with it. It's beginning to be weighed on par with genocide. So there's much more of a face of how it looks to their shareholders, to the, 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 the community at large, as opposed to someone committing genocide. So that's kind of the deterrent that we're looking at. And I appreciate that because uh, I, I didn't know the U.S. I knew that China wasn't because I just did my quick research while Judy was talking and listening. And uh, like I said, 
in Canada, the one thing that I hear from the, and I, I, I mean this lightly for those people who are listening, who are, who position themselves on this part of the political spectrum on the right is, Hey, we're doing too much to help protect the environment because we can only do enough while China isn't. So I appreciate you answering that question, Donna, and take and addressing it in the way that you did greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Um, let, let's move on to the second terminology here. So Donna, we'll throw the microphone back over to you okay. and let's talk so, because ethics is one thing. What else do we want to talk about? So today? the second, um, and I'm just going to continue reading the definition and then choosing the yep. word, um, committed with the knowledge that there is a substantial likelihood of severe. And so they describe severe as meaning damage, which involves very serious adverse changes disruption or harm to any element of the environment, including grave impacts on human health or natural, cultural, or economic resources. And I just wanna jump in there for a moment because what is really a paradigm shift with this proposal to the Rome Statute, it is, it is not anthropocentric. So it is, it is not specific to humans. So all of the others are genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity and crimes of it's specific to how aggression is happening to humans. This really takes it outside the box so that nature, animals, they have legal standing with on their own in their own right. And so, for example, if there's an ecocide happening Say, we'll just say hypothetically far to the north that is destroying massive amounts of land, massive amounts of uh, water, very polluting, very high carbon emissions. But say, say for example, there isn't really direct impact on people, which is questionable. Um, it can still stand as an ecocide, an active ecocide, because what we understand now is that the gravity of this, if it affects um or what we're seeing with the evidence through the the IPCC report. So that is the one that just came out last month. That's the International Panel on Climate Change through the United Nations. And they have just issued a red alert for humanity on the state of the ecological um, crisis. That um, they understand or that we are beginning to understand that what affects even in a, a remote corner of the planet is now affecting all of humanity. So this becomes a crime against humanity, even though it's just an environment to the North. So I don't know if that was very clear. You might want to jump in with a question. It um, was, okay. but I, I'm going to jump in on a question as well on this one. Um, let, let's talk about statues of limitation for a second, because you can have that moment when you potentially, like you said, up north, water's destroyed, land is destroyed, earth is destroyed. Is there a statue of limitation that the Fifth Amendment would allow people to say, hey, while we are in 2021, you did this in 2012, you did this in 2004. 2006. Judy, yeah. do you want do you want to take this one and then I'll let uh, uh, Donna jump in as well? Sure. Um, it's, it, my understanding is, is that there's no retroactive. So this won't come into effect until it has been presented, worked on, accepted. And then there's still, a, I believe, a five year um, period where it's trend they have for to transition before um, it would be possible to hold anyone to account. So we have that period of time. Did I get my numbers right, Donna? Well, you're right in that it's not retroactive and no international right. criminal law is. Um, mm -hmm. so it will be at least a year transition. Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of unclear uh, exactly. It, it has to be adopted and then put into process and during that transition. So that will take a while. The writing will be on the wall. The transition will begin to happen. But once it's on the statute, if a corporation continues to commit ecocide, then it, then they can be uh, prosecuted, and then it's up to the judge and the jury. Okay, awesome. Okay. Thank you for uh, answering that. And that was my one question from that terminology that I had because I was trying to figure out uh, what that meant. But Donna, I saw you raise your hand here for a second. What, what would you like to add? Well, there's one really interesting thing about this statute that I love, 
And that is a real paradigm shift for a law of this caliber at the international level. And that is the inclusion of cultural resources. And so cultural resources now can elevate, can be elevated if, if cultural resources are um, determined to be at risk or, um, or damaged, like severely damaged, then that elevates the whole case in that level. So this means that if um, an indigenous group, for example, in the Amazon, uh, where perhaps a certain um, president is destroying the forest or people are coming in, that, and that is their livelihood, that is a cultural resource. Or if it's a burial ground, for example, which we've seen here in our own country. So this is a real nod to what is happening um, around the world to particularly to indigenous people or cultures that rely um, and have a relationship, a much more profound relationship with the environment than we generally have. And so it's a very, very powerful tool. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, and probably, as you know, Chris, um, Indigenous people hold their very small percentage of the Earth's population, but they hold 80% of the biodiversity on the planet and have to fight in order to retain that. And as we see, are being murdered for that fight. Agreed. Um, let's move on to the next terminology in the, uh, in the definition of ecocide. Okay, so severe or either, excuse me, severe and widespread. So widespread means damage, which exists beyond a limited geographic area, crosses state boundaries, or is suffered by an entire ecosystem or species or a large number of human beings. Pretty straightforward on that one. Um, is there anything you want to add, Judy or Donna, on that statement? No, I think that stands on its own. Okay, next one. Let's go. Oh, go go ahead, Judy. Well, I, I just wanted to say that being a non-legal person, um, I was actually surprised at the brevity of, of the definition. But then when you look at it with the existing Rome statute um, amendments, um, it's right in line with those. And these um, clarifying terms are really important to understand. And I did want to let people know that we are um, that all of this and the, um, the statement and explanations is all available on our website at stopecocide.earth. Here in Canada, you have the .ca, you get some extra information about us, so stopecocide.ca, um, and you can view it in English, French, and there's many other uh, languages as well. So the... Um, uh, it was just interesting as a layperson um, to have that brevity and that a lot is left up to um, the, the judge to determine how it's applied. And that is just how it works in, in the international court. Uh, so it was really quite an interesting uh, process to learn how all of this works at the international criminal court. I, I, and I also oh, go ahead. Oh, Sorry, I wanted to add one more thing because I'm going to forget if I don't pop it in now, is that um, interestingly, ecocide um, is not new in the laws because under wartime, it is a crime to commit ecocide. That's where it first came in during the Vietnam War with Agent Orange. And that during peacetime, currently it's perfectly legal. We just want to rectify that. Seems very backwards if you ask me that if during war you can't commit it but during regular times it's open season for anyone to do whatever they want i'm sorry but i have to shake my head at that statement because you think i'm a lost at words for that statement i just do not know how to tell people are you stupid? Like, is that, is that, is that the best I can say right now? Anyway, um, uh, Donna, let's go back. Is there any more definitions before we uh, start turning to our, uh, the Rome statue and what the next steps are? Uh, yeah. So, um, so they describe long-term and environment. And so long-term meaning damage, which is irreversible or which cannot be redressed through natural recovery within a reasonable period of time and environment which I think is really interesting. They've described environment, which means earth, its biosphere, 
cryosphere, lithosphere, hydrosphere, and atmosphere, as well as outer space. So they've really got it all there. Wow. They've literally like you, it, it's anywhere. It is earth, earth to space. You are earth and beyond, you, yeah. wherever yeah. humans can go. Wow. That's yeah. Um, uh, if that was the last one, I do want to turn to the Rome statue because I'm looking at the time and we're almost at the 50 minute mark. And I did not realize we were at the 50 minute mark until I just looked at the clock and I went, Whoa, <laughs> this has been a great conversation where you forget where, where time's gone. Um, but I want to turn to the Rome statue of the international court, as you said, and I want to readdress it uh, Four core international crimes are genocide crimes against humanity, war crimes, and crimes of aggression. Uh, Stop Ecocide would like to see Ecocide on that as well. We talked about bringing forward the first proposal in December. I'm going to ask this question, and it's going to seem like a bad question in my mind, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Governments change bills after they're proposed things will get changed in anything that is proposed in December. How do you ensure at the end of the day, what comes out from the international of the Rome statue, the fifth amendment to the Rome statue is what is proposed because I've seen bills go in front of Canadian parliament, Alberta government, and they're proposed one way. And by the end of it, you're, they're so watered down that they mean absolutely nothing what they originally meant. How do we ensure that we fight this so we make it what we propose. Donna, let's start with you. So um, what you're describing, Chris, is a national bill. This is an international one. So Even worse, bill, even worse. Now we have 256 <laughs> or 120, 123 nations going to be addressing this and they, they're all going to want it one way or the other. So <laughs> I, I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to interrupt I, you. And I'm not trying to be an a-hole on this. I'm just saying. 123, if I put 123 people, I'm not going to get a clear, cohesive answer on this. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I just wanted to make that distinction. So um, it will be proposed internationally. So I think it's 87%, uh, hmm, two thirds of two thirds have to vote in favor. So it will be hashed out. And yes, it will look different once. All of the offices of global affairs around the world and their lawyers get together. But there are states, parties who are already pushing this forward. The European Union as a union is pushing this forward. Um, actually, I'm going to just read to you. Because there's interest. This has been architected so that it looks like it could easily fit within the Rome statute. It looks like the other laws, the other um laws that are in the statute. And so it's not so scary to countries. They've already seen this. It's using, okay. they specifically use the same language. And the reason that we're pointing towards the international rather than national is because it's frightening for nation states to go in on it alone, but to go in it together so that you understand your economy is going to be affected in a positive or a negative way, the same way all of the countries who are signatories will be. It also just one more thing about this. Once it's once it is um, amended to the Rome Statute, it directly accesses the legal system within the nation states, and it's the only mechanism worldwide that does that. But you're but going back to your question: How will? It, it, of course, it will change, but that's that's the democratic process. Um, but I believe that because. There is so much interest in this from the leading minds of the world. It, it won't be watered down. Um, it will be changed and, and everybody's going to have their say and they're going to want to protect themselves. But because we're all going in this together, there's no end to information out about how dire things are. Um, we have leading nation states who are at this. And I, I'm going to just I'm going to just read some of this to you because I know this is new to you, but this is not new. And so um, this has well, been. And I'm, I'm not saying that I'm not. It's not new to me. And I, I right, admit that right. I, 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 I am green on this issue. Sense. 
But yeah. when people listen to the show, they get something from it. And I yeah. think there's a lot of people who listen to the show who might, I, I guarantee you, I, my, well, I'm going to say this, hi, mom and dad, but my mom and dad <laughs> probably have never uttered the word uh, ecocide in their life. So I think I think people need to uh, be aware of what is happening and what this could mean. So I, I appreciate you saying that, but go back, go back to what you were about to say here. Well, and I appreciate that. What I, what I meant to say is it's new for many people. And what I want to say is it's actually not only is it um, not new, but we're all, we're already partially there. And so it's, so um, just in July, Chile, there's a parliamentary resolution in Chile in June of 2021, there was a parliamentary motion. These are all in support of criminalizing ecocide at the international level. There was a parliamentary motion in Scotland. In June 2021, the European Union adopted it in its biodiversity statement. So these are all organizations <laughs> countries that are going to be advocating strongly for this. The United Kingdom, Bangladesh, um, Canada has at least made a, a public official statement that it's going to watch. Um, so... Uh, Spain, Belgium, Netherlands, Portugal, um, France, uh, Vanuatu and the Maldives. So these are so certainly Vanuatu and Maldives, because they are some of the most climate vulnerable places on the planet right now, will be the first to um, push this forward. Most probably Belgium or Sweden and Chile. So this is how it's going to move forward. So, um, yes. So you do have countries backing it. It's just it, like you said, everything gets changed by the time you propose. But it seems like, from what uh, you're saying, Donna, it's going to stay the structural content of what's proposed because it is so close to the original Rome statue that was passed in 1998. Correct. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, I, I want to turn it turn it back over to you, Judy. And I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to ask uh, Donna to follow up if she has any input on this as well. I've said this over and over again. We are in the midst of an election. This is an issue that needs to be on the radar of Canadians because it's going to be proposed in December. And we want to make sure that while the official word from the Canadian government is we're watching what's happening, watching and doing are two different things. What should Canadians be asking their candidates as they come to their door on this issue? Ask them if they know what ecocide is and ask them what their vote will be because they need to learn about it. And the more people that come and and ask them at um, public forums, at debates, um, send them letters. There is a form letter on our website that you can send your your officials. Um, Ask them, ask them what they know, send them the information. Uh, We've reached out to um, almost all of the the sitting MPs prior to this election call. We have had, had, sessions with um, MPs from every single elected party. And we've had support um, with them presenting um, petitions, tabling petitions or presenting petitions from every sitting party. So that is is a nonpartisan approach that we're taking. Uh, We're now moving on to do the Senate as well. We will come back with the new sitting MPs once we give them a little bit of time to catch their breath. Not too much, though, because we don't have much time, as the IPCC report told us. Uh, We currently have an open letter for non-governmental organizations. They can't sign it or sign on to it until after our election because of our Canadian election laws. But we encourage them to uh, look that up on our website as well. Uh, We also um, uh, have a kind of a sister organization where um, any... um, parliamentarian can sign on in support. Um, We have uh, Leah Gazan has, um, uh, Elizabeth May has, Paul Manley has, and um, I think there's one more, and I can't remember which one has signed on in support of the Stop Ecocide movement. Um, And we've also been asking each of the parties to put forth policy proposals so that the party themselves has uh, has a policy in support of um, the having the fourth or the fifth amendment of the Rome statute be a crime against uh, or crime of ecocide. So 
We are um, have podcasts and webinars available on our website if people want to learn more. Reach out to us, join our newsletter. Um, Donna does this amazing newsletter. <laughs> And no, nobody else can have her because we knew her skills in house here. <laughs> um, so sign up, be part of the movement. Uh, we are looking for champions, um, ecocide champions all across Canada. I'm on the East Coast. Donna's on the West Coast. We've got um, we've got team members all across Canada, and we'd like to um, extend that. We will be looking for people to be out and getting more petitions signed, so we can get them in front of um, on the read in the House of Commons. We want to be that little bird on every politician's shoulder talking to them about ecocide. And so they will understand and be ready to vote the way that, that Canada and the world needs them to vote when the vote comes um, at the International Criminal Court. Donna, do you want anything? Do you want to add, add anything before I ask you the next question? Because I think the next one's going to be a loaded question. <laughs> that, that Judy, she said it all. That was beautiful. Um, so to end this, this is going to be my last question before we do wrap up here. And this is, this goes back to that report that we've already talked about, the IPCC report. Um, in the report, it said, and the co-author said, some of the impacts due to climate change, due to ecocide, are irreversible. We are, like we said, in a code red situation right now. I'm not trying to paint a negative uh, picture that we can't turn this around because we can't things that have happened have happened, but we can turn this around. This re this proposal is going to take a year, year and a half, however long it does take to get passed uh, for the Rome fifth amendment. We don't have time for a year, year and a half. We need it tomorrow. What would you want people to know to say, Hey, we're going as fast as we can, but we need to go faster. So what would I want them to what, what What would you want? How would you want people to address this faster? Because government is slow. Government is not going to go at the speed of uh, the, the speed that we want. We have reports calling that th things aren't changing and they're getting worse. Canada, you look at the, the IPC, uh, IPCC report, Canada is in a dire situation. We need to change now and not wait five years from now or a year from now. We need to change now. While we wait for this process, what can Canadians be doing to address ecocide, to address climate change? Thank you. I understand. That. Um, the, the, what moves most quickly are humans speaking to each other. Utilizing the word ecocide a lot in your vocabulary, speaking with people, talking to them about it. Um, discussing it at your family. If you go to, a, if you're concerned about something and you go to a rally, utilizing that word. So you can go on our website under act, act now, and there's all kinds of resources. There's print resources. There's all manner of things for you to do, but utilizing that word, especially on social media, go to our Instagram site, go to our Facebook page, share that information, get the word out. We need the grassroots movement to take off with fire, much like the fires are happening all over BC and Manitoba. And we need a different kind of fire. We need a spiritual fire. And that's what this is. Yes, government moves slow. And, but the speed of this, the real benefit of this is as a deterrent. And so if people start using that word ecocide, if they start understanding what that is, then it gets into the government always follows the will of the people because they want to be elected. And I'm telling you, the conservatives that we spoke to, they, they, the ones that we spoke to were in support of it. And they understand, here's a direct quote from one of them. People think that the economy needs to be pitted against the environment, and it does not. So there is a, a voice of understanding. Um, so all I'm saying is we need to just use this word, talk about it, as well as pushing our elected representatives at the same time. Um, with that, we are at the one hour mark. I want to thank Donna and Judy for doing this. This has been an educational hour for myself. I hope the listeners and the viewers have uh, learned something and have taken something away from this because this is an important issue. We need to be addressing this. And like Judy said, 
If you have a candidate at your doorstep, ask the question, what is ecocide? How will we address it? And I will say this for our segment on the show where we bring in candidates for for the 44th uh, general election, the ballot box, that will be a question that I will be asking every single one of them, no matter which party. And I will be asking them until I'm red in my face, provincially, municipally, or even federally. Uh, Donna, uh, I also want to mention this. Donna and uh, Judy have both mentioned websites, social media pages for my listeners who are listening to this on the podcast in the show notes will be the link to stopecocide.ca's website, Instagram and social media pages. Uh, For those who are uh, watching, it's in the show notes as well. So please, 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 please go check this out. Donna, Judy, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a pleasure and an honor. Thank you so much, Chris. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Chris. Yes, this has been an awesome opportunity to to, uh, help your viewers understand. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates. (laughs) 